when you walk in a cave, it's kind of entering in a time machine. You could find this footstep of a ancient Homo sapiens uh, 10,000 years ago, just walking there, and it could look like it was left yesterday. Our natural world inspires and shapes us, so it's critical that we work to protect it. I'm Alex Honnold, professional rock climber and founder of the Honnold Foundation, and this is season two of Planet Visionaries. As a climber, I've been fortunate enough to see both the beauty and fragility of our planet. That's why I'm proud to be joining Rolex and the Washington Post Creative Group to bring you stories of inspiring people who are helping solve some of the most important conservation issues that we face today. On this episode, I get to speak with Gina Mosley and Francesco Sauro, two speleologists, or cave explorers, who are both going where no one has gone before. Hi, guys. Hi, Alex. Hi, Francesco. Hi, Alex. Hi, Gina. Very excited to speak about caves with you. Cool. Let's dive in. I, I feel like that's appropriate for a caving conversation. We're just getting right. in. Yeah. So how did you guys each get interested in caves? For me, it started when I was about 12 years old. And I was on a family holiday in Cheddar in the southwest of the UK. And my mum wanted to try caving and asked me if I would go along with her. And that was basically the start of everything that happened since really. <laughs> for the next years, I would save up the money from my uh, paper round after school so that I could pay to go caving as much as possible in the summer. And then, yeah, here I am. <laughs> <laughs> Francesco? So my father was studying caves because he was also a scientist. So he brought me to a cave when I was four, but I was crying all the time because of the darkness and it was not very pleasant I was really worried about what could have been inside the cave. And then a few years later, I got the occasion to enter another cave. And I was about eight, I think. I was worried, but I was also very curious. And so I just overcome the fear. And, and then after that, I always wanted to go farther and farther. Yeah, Francesco, you said that your father was also a scientist and, and a caver. I mean, that must have made it much easier to... To get into caving. Yeah, he studied geography. So he was interested in this scientific aspect. But at the beginning, my, my one was much more, I want to go deeper and deeper. I want to explore. I want to go farther. And then I started really to look at the scientific aspect of this activity. Yeah, I was curious about that for you, Gina. Were you driven more by the science or by the, the spirit of exploration? When I started as a teenager, it was very much just, you know, a childish adventure, wanting to crawl around in the mud and in the dark holes in the ground, really. And it wasn't until later on when I was at university studying physical geography, like Francesco's father, that I was looking for a topic for a third year bachelor thesis. And in that moment, I thought, I like caving. Let's find an excuse to go caving and do some research in caves. That's pretty parallel to how a lot of climbers wind up. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's like, oh, you love climbing first and foremost, but then you wind up as a, as a mountain guide or whatever else just as a way to sort of yeah. allow you to spend time in the mountains. So uh, help me understand why you love spending time in caves. I've been in some beautiful caves, but it just doesn't like draw me in the same way. Like, what, what does it feel like when you go into a cave? It's real exploration. It's going to a place that you cannot find on Google Earth. Uh, if I tell you, Alex, to go to Yosemite and, and show to the people uh, what is the nose. Every people can see it and can understand, at least from distance, how big it is. 
and how high it is. When, when you go to a cave, it's very difficult to explain to people what you will find, how deep it is, because everything is in, in the darkness. It's very difficult to explain what does it means to go to a 1,000 or 2,000 meters deep cave and staying there for days and days. It's very emotional activity because you are really exploring something completely new as you would be on another planet. Does that feel the same for you, Gina? Yeah, I think what we both have in common is that we started caving as children before this fear of what might be inside a cave or what the dangers involved in caving were recognized to us, I guess. And now as an adult, I can be in a cave that no one else has ever been in before. And that's a quite an incredible feeling. But I can also be in a cave that many people have been in before and it's still an incredible feeling. And then when you turn to the scientific part of it as well and you realise that caves have got so much to offer in terms of climate research, biology research, you know, there's just so much that we can learn from caves and, and this is really, I guess, what drives our curiosity now. Can you describe some of the, the personal sensations you experience in a cave? Like, what are you most struck by? It's really difficult to explain because when you walk in a cave, like opening this cave in front of you with your headlamp and the, and the darkness is closing the cave behind you. So it's, it's really a special sensation. But I think for me, the feeling which is uh, most interesting is the sense of time. So it's kind of entering in a time machine. You could find this footstep of a ancient Homo sapiens uh, 10,000 years ago, just walking there and could look like it was left yesterday. So, so it's, it's a lot about being able to really travel in time through the caves. Do you feel that, Gina? Yeah, it's, it's, it's just magical, actually. <laughs> I don't know how else, how else to describe it. I think one thing as well is caves are so different underground. They can be so beautiful with stalagmites and stalactites everywhere, or they can be completely barren. And there's just so much to see that we are privileged as cavers to see that so many people just don't get to see. And I think that's, that's a really very special feature of caving, like this feeling of privilege. Gina and Francesco are combining their love of caving with groundbreaking scientific research into our past and future. I think one of the challenges with caving is that it's just so hard to get good photos. It's like hard to tell a story of caving. Yes. Because I think what makes caving fun is is like the the web, the network, like the, the three-dimensional space, like the, the fact yes. that you're like moving through a huge area, but there's no mm -hmm. way to show that area. Yeah, it seems very challenging. Yeah, yeah, it's it's very it's very challenging, and we have very good uh, photographers around the world working on this. But if you think about um, a mountain, and uh, inside this mountain there could be hundreds of kilometers of cave passages, consider that what you can represent is only what you know, what you have explored. But what about uh, all the rest? Could be huge, and nobody knows. Mm -hmm. You say hundreds of kilometers in in your mountains. I'm like, that's because you live by the dolomites and it's all like forest limestone. I was like, I, I just spent yes. the last month in Yosemite and I'm like, there are definitely no, yeah. <laughs> no caves. There. It's like yeah, very hard granite. Of course, in, in granite, there are, there are no caves, but who knows, maybe just 1,000 meters below our feet now, there is a huge cavern and nobody can tell that. I think that kind of thing gives a lot of people nightmares. <laughs> you think that yeah. there's a huge <laughs> hole underneath their house. Francesco has one. I've been in it. <laughs> oh, yeah? Yeah, you, you have, have a, a cave yes. in your house, don't you? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It happens that I bought a house with a cave uh, uh, below. It's not huge, but it's nice. It's like a, it's it's like a pet cave. 
yes. <laughs> it's, it's, it's 15 meters shaft, yeah, but it's nice. Yeah, it's cute. That's crazy. So can you guys both uh, tell me about some of your favorite caving experiences? What are some that really blew your minds? My three expeditions to Greenland, that was pretty special to put all that effort in and to go up there and, and to finally stand in some of these beautiful caves in Greenland, which was really a big adventure to get there with flying up to North Greenland, inflating a boat, going across a 20 kilometer white lake, hiking for three days to get to the caves. And then we replaced our freeze-dried food with rocks from the cave. So that made the bags heavier to walk back with, you know, but it really showed what was possible in Greenland and then it was worth investing and going back. Nice. And Francesco, what, what are you uh, working on right now? The, the one that was more uh, fascinating also from the involving, it's about the quartzite caves, especially in the Guyana highlands. So the Venezuela and the is Brazil and now also Colombia. These are probably some of the oldest caves that you can access in our planet because the rock is 1.6 billion years ago. So, and the caves could have something like 70 millions of years. There could be some dinosaur skeleton inside some of them. So that was really a transforming experience for me because it was really projecting like kind of on another planet. You know, you know, you enter a place where every step you could hit something that you do not even know what it is. So it's very delicate. Uh, you, you must have a big respect. And so what do you hope to learn in the cave? Can you each explain to me, like help me understand what you learn inside of caves? In my case, uh, I, I want to, to check and study the most diverse cave landscapes and understand what they contain. So from the very ancient caves of the Tepuis, this could help to understand how life evolved together with the minerals and in the underground, which is very interesting also for astrobiological purposes, because uh, you know that on Mars now the conditions are not very good on the surface for life, but they could be very good in the interior. I would say that this curiosity and to try to extend our view on our planet and then to extrapolate what is uh, important to understand, also to look to other planets, uh, which is one of my main goals in my life. Yeah, so my work is is similar to Francesco's, but not exactly the same. So I, I kind of build on this idea of them being time capsules, really. And so I'm specifically working on mineral deposits that we find in caves. Caves can provide us with a record of how the climate and the environment has changed in the past. And so I'm interested in periods in the past when it was warmer than today or when the climate has changed very quickly. And these can provide analogues for what's happening now and what we might expect to happen in the future. So what are you guys both learning about climate change from, from the caves that you're working in? One of the, the critical points with climate change we're experiencing right now is the loss of sea ice. And this is a major driver in the climate system. When this is gone, there, there will be really a lot of changes that, that follow as a result uh, of the loss of sea ice. So by tapping into these periods in the past, we're, we're just learning more about what we could expect really in the future. The ice caves, the mullins, are showing that we are in a phase which is a very worrying for uh, both for an ice cap like Greenland, but also mainly for the continental glacier like in the Alps, because you have quite a lot of melt from the inside. And this has an effect increasing the temperature of the ice and then uh, leading toward a collapse of the glaciers much faster than what we can model. 
Collaborations with other scientists have inspired new areas of discovery for Gina and Francesco. Can you guys each describe what it was like to win the Rolex Awards for Enterprise and how that impacted your work? Winning the Rolex was uh, a dream. The network and the support and the view on the planet, on what we want to achieve and uh, all the people that are in this beautiful network of the Rolex Award was really making a, a step forward to, to do what I do and also and also to, to understand myself that what we were doing in the case was not just a, a game, was something much more important for not only for us, but in general for scientists, for many other people. Back in 2008, when I was doing my PhD, I just thought, wow, that's really cool. Maybe one day, yeah, maybe one day, maybe Rolex, yeah, maybe, you know, it's just a pipe dream. How would that ever happen? And then I applied and uh, just kept, you know, getting through to the next stage and the next stage. And they phoned me up and announced that they were giving me one of the five prizes, which was really Really incredible. I think I'm still coming to terms with it, to be honest. I'm still in (laughs) shock, really. I I think what I wasn't expecting was the network to all these other amazing and inspiring people and these other projects. Have you guys worked with any other laureates? Louis Rocher and I, one of the other 2021 laureates, are talking about other projects at the moment, which is really exciting. That's just been the most incredible experience and opportunity, and I'm really enjoying it. In my case, um, I've been working, for example, with Joseph Cook, which is a geographer working on Greenland for many years on microbiological effect of darkening of the ice. And we were searching for the same record of algae and bacteria inside the moulins. And then recently with Michel André, which is a bioacoustic expert, and we are dealing with the soundscapes of caves. So what we can get in terms of information from the sounds in different caves, uh, we were able to record earthquakes, for example, inside the caves. Is, is there a big soundscape in a cave? I think it was caves has been very quiet and very still. Yeah, this is, this is the same uh, that I was thinking. Um, actually, Michelle came to me at a conference of the Rolex Award in Los Angeles in 2017 because I say during this conference that the caves, uh, you can experience the, the complete silence. And he came to me and said, I was thinking the same for the oceans, but that's not true. Of course, there is a lot of life and sounds. So it's really an interesting field. And I never thought about that before I was inside the Rolex World Network. And I, I got to meet with these incredible people like Michelle. Gina and Francesco are taking their research to the furthest edges of our planet and other planets. What do you each see as the the next generation of cave exploration? Like, what are the the obvious next steps in your field? The beautiful thing with cave exploration is we really don't know where the next big caves are, right? So, or where the next big thing is, because you really have to go there to get an idea of what's to be found. I think Francesco is really targeted one of the big ones with the caves in space, the astrospeleology. That's one of the big ones, really. Cool, Francesco, what do, you, what do you think is the uh, the future? So there is a lot of advancement and all this uh, is leading to the capability of human being to go uh, further in uh, the exploration, for example, of the moon. So with the really dark side of the moon now, 
it's the caves. We know more than 270 entrances of the moon, and we do not know what is down there. The same is for Mars. We have about 1,300 cave entrances of Mars. We have estimates of huge tunnels down there, but uh, there is no satellite that can tell you what is down there. So I think what we are doing here on Earth is just something that will help then to, to look to other caves and maybe understand that we are just uh, creatures living on the surface of uh, a planet, but this is not always the case. Maybe the best place to live in some other planets will be the underground. Could that be true? Yes, of course. In a cave, uh, even now, you could have very good conditions, still protected from the radiations because you have a roof with uh, smooth temperature excursions. Uh, you could have water, icy water. So maybe, maybe yes, why not? Cool. So for both of you guys, what, what advice would you give to the average person on how they can help keep the planet perpetual? Yeah, this is, this is something I've thought about a lot. I would say just educate yourself in, in your lifestyle and where you could change and make a difference, really. If you can borrow something, recycle something, reuse it rather than paying for the something that's been newly produced, new resources and all these sorts of things, wasting a lot of energy, then it's best to try and avoid that as much as possible. And it's also important that people don't take this attitude of I'm just one person, I can't make a big change because when a lot of people start to make the same kind of change, it becomes a movement and then there becomes political pressure. Francesco? Of course, for me, uh, it's the same as Gina said, all very important things. I would add that people have to be very open-minded and think that every action that we do in this planet is uh, having an impact and sometimes having an impact that we do not even know. What I've learned, for example, in, in the Tepuis of Venezuela is that the cave that we explored, now it was very delicate. We had to use different protocols to minimize our impact. And the indigenous people there, they, they were having a religious respect of this place because it was the place where the spirits, uh, the gods of the mountains were living. And actually we found that this respect and this perspective of the scientist was very similar because it could be something mystical or religious for a scientist could be something that still doesn't have an, an answer or a very important information to understand why we are here on this planet. So we have to be really respectful to nature, to whatever is around us, because we simply do not know all the significance of, of this. And we have to be kind of explorers always because the mood of the explorer is I want to know because uh, I can then respect and protect. That was speleologist Francesco Sauro and paleoclimatologist Gina Mosley. I'm Alex Honnold. Thanks for listening to Planet Visionaries. If you enjoyed this episode, please like, leave a review, and subscribe to help other listeners find it. On the next episode, I'll be joined by Luis Rocha, a scientist working to protect the Indian Ocean's deep coral reefs. And if you liked this episode, check out Season 1, Episode 5, where I spoke with Joseph Cook, who's studying how Greenland's ice is evolving with climate change. Thanks for listening, and be sure to check out the next generation of environmental innovators at Rolex.org.